New on CuriosityStream, uncover engineering secrets from history's greatest masters. From the mysteries of the first man-made waterways to the building techniques of the early Americas, it's ancient engineering. Plus, 40 tons of trucks speeding down the interstate can be a recipe for disaster. See how today's smarter new age big rigs pave the way for safer highways on high-tech trucks. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Good morning, Toronto. I'm Daryl. This is my friend TK, and this is the Toronto Real Estate Show. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe, and hit the damn bell. Also, yeah. check us out on all the other podcast channels out there. We're not just on YouTube. You can find us anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. Now, on to the show. We got a big one for you guys today. Happy Sunday. Happy Hanukkah. Looks like Christmas out there. Holy cow. Wasn't expecting that, were you? No. I mean, they should give us a warning or something, right? Like just, you know, something like a weather channel where they have like, you know, forecasts over the next like week or two that tells us about the weather. That would be so helpful. Wouldn't that be helpful if yeah. it was accurate too? It would be amazing. <laughs> if anyone ever checked it, right? <laughs> okay. So like, it's not bad enough that all the real estate in Toronto is getting eaten up by all these evil investors. Now we got to deal with snow and shoveling snow and wiping our cars off with snow. This is yeah. ridiculous. But what perfect timing. What a great show this is, the Toronto Real Estate Show. We're like right on point. You're the best guest. We have a wonderful guest for you guys today. He is the CEO of Rain Real Estate Investment Network. He is waiting in our waiting room right now. And we are going to jump into a wonderful conversation with him and see why the investors are ruining the real estate market here in Toronto. So stay tuned for the whole show. There um, he is. The infamous. Yeah. Patrick Francie. There Welcome to the show. We are live, sir. It's awesome. Great background. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much for the invitation. Look forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah it should perfect be a day good to do one. it, right? Who wants to be out there shoveling snow and, and skidding into people who don't have their winter tires on yet? <laughs> exactly. Today's oh, the yeah. day. Today's we, the day. We're, uh, we don't need winter tires in the Fraser Valley today. We need uh, rain tires if there is such a thing. Um, yes. Because it's raining a lot out here. Yeah, crazy what's been going on uh, out there. Yeah. Really. Un, un, unexpected you know my uh my thoughts and prayers are with everybody out there you know when, once i found out about it it was just like wow and i i have people who moved from ontario out to you know parts of bc recently right so yeah. this would be a major shock a friend yeah, uh, Mike uh, in the night. a lot of water right across the province and uh i live in the lower mainland so i live in the fraser valley so sumas prairie is like seven minutes from my house so wow yeah. you know you're in the uh the heat of it Yep. Quite unfortunate. It looks like your place is doing okay, though. Not underwater. Yeah, we're high. Yeah, we, we live in an area called Mount Lehman. So Mount being, we're high. So um, we're on uh, five acres out here. So we're elevated. So Beautiful. 
Beautiful. We, we have another friend of the show, Mike from Mike in the Night out there in uh, Vancouver also, and he's been reporting on it a lot. <laughs> Keeping you up to speed. That's, that's everybody great. Up to speed. Yeah, it's been great. So uh, awesome. let me just share my screen here quickly. Give you a quick little plug. I'm sure most people know Rain already. Real mm -hmm. Estate Investment Network here in Canada. Mm -hmm. Wonderful networking. Um, Pioneers. Yep. Absolutely. I remember yeah. way back at the beginning of my real estate career going to a rain event to go see uh robert kiyosaki i think uh was yeah, on. Been on the stage yeah i mean we've been around 29 years so we've had many many uh cross our stage so it's, it's great what a what a great forum mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely the, the pioneer of real estate investment like i'm sure there's been for a hundred as long as landlords have existed there's been landlord associations and meetings and all that kind of stuff right yeah yeah. But as far as, you know, mainstream, the first one that I heard of, I mean, I've only been in real estate 15 years, but, you know, everybody rain, rain, rain. And now there's a lot of other, you know, often imitated, never duplicated yeah. type of investment networks <laughs> totally. uh, out there. Right. right. Yeah. Many of them former rain members. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Lots of that going on in the world. And we're still remain the only national organization. We, you know, we really are shoreline to shoreline. Lots of local guys do what they do in terms of the education factor. Um, but most of them are, you know, they're generally selling a piece of real estate or selling real estate or attracting capital. There's a kind of an agenda behind it, which I'm not making wrong, but it's a totally different model. They use education to bring people into their fold to do what they do. Uh, we're strictly education and research. You know, that's ultimately what we do. We create a community. It is a membership based business or a subscription based business. Yeah. Maybe one of the reasons why 29 years later you're still here. Yeah, we, we like to think that, you know, we don't have a bias around, uh, you know, we're, we don't sell real estate. So we're not attached to where you buy real estate. We only want you to make decisions from an educated point of view so that you're actually investing, not speculating. That's always the kind of, a uh, you know, the, the message that we try to get to people is, you know, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't mean that's where you should invest. And so the local guys that are doing the education, we have to make sure that, you know, is that region really good for investing in real estate? So we always look at it from that point of view and we're unbiased in our research. So if Hamilton's awesome, then we, then we let people know. And if it's not awesome, then we don't. So in this case, we, we started talking about Hamilton 15 years ago. Yeah. That's, that's stay in business for 29 years. If you don't bring value to people. Yeah. Yeah. Hamilton yeah. for 15 years. How'd you call that one? <clears throat> What's going on in Hamilton 15 years ago? <laughs> well, you know, it's Hamilton, Barry, that whole area, London, you know, like that, that, you know, Aurelia. I mean, we were making those calls, like I say, 15 years ago, and people thought we were nuts. But there really is no denying what drives real estate, you know. So people are investing today, for example, in this heated market, and good for them as long as you know why you're investing and where the market's going. Our job as real estate investors is to make our money work harder for us and we work for our money, you know, a bit of a catchphrase, but it, it really is necessary to look into the future and see where real estate is going. We don't really care where it's been. I mean, that's good historical data. And where it is today is not where we're making our money. We're making our money in the future. And so we have to look into the future and say, what's driving this real estate market? Why am I investing here, there, or somewhere else? Why am I going to invest in Calgary, I don't know, over Edmonton? Or why am I going to invest in Edmonton over Peterborough? You know, it doesn't really matter. Or Kelowna over Vancouver. So we make these decisions based on what drives real estate so we can get in front of the wave, not chase it.
Right. I and bet, I think I the bet, key is to see into the future and know something that everybody else doesn't know or see some type of value that other people just don't see to see it in a way, you know, different than everybody else. It, it, that's yeah. the most important thing, right? Yeah, it is. Take the criticism, right? Because that's, you know, 15 years ago, talking Hamilton or, you know, wherever the next market is right now, it's, yeah. uh, it's hard, right? Because everyone's going to tell you you're nuts. It yeah, really I, is. I yeah. put something up on Twitter yesterday and I said, you know what? When people tell me I'm crazy and my numbers are wrong, I know I'm on the right path. <laughs> exactly. That's generally the case, right? Uh, most people read headlines. Uh, you know, we've for years said, you know, look behind the headlines, look behind the curtain. What's what is that? <coughs> Excuse me. What does that headline really mean? And, you know, uh, unfortunately, headlines attract you to read the article, but a lot of people don't read the article and then right. they don't even really understand necessarily how to disseminate the information they're being given and what it means. So you can read it, get information, then you go, OK, well, OK, so, oh, GDP's drop. Uh, you know, percent. Well, what does that mean? Well, it may mean nothing or it may mean something. So you have to look at it and start to take that information and do something with it. In Who's the world writing of the article? Yeah, yeah, you mean Who's like, writing it? Who's, like apply logic? <laughs> Maybe apply a little bit of critical thinking to what you just read? Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because uh, critical thinking is something that you know, cer certainly since the pandemic and COVID over the past couple of years, you know, critical thinking has been an absolute, you know, if you're not looking at the world through a different set of filters and you're thinking that is what it was or it's going to go back to what it was, um, you're going to find yourself being very reactive and chasing all sorts of things as opposed to being ahead of it, understanding where it's going. Okay. You know, we are right now time and time again we're looking at the research and the dynamics of what's happening in the world of technology what does that mean to real estate you know i just we did our summit here a couple of weeks ago and i just wrote a, a paper on you know work from home and work from anywhere and what's that going to mean to real estate uh 5g i'm calling it the new transportation change and so because transportation changes as you guys know are hugely impactful on a community on a town on a city it's like rapid transit. You know, when you put those things in place, when you open up a corridor to an area that really wasn't open before or it was limited, it's like the 407, it changed, you know, I mean, think about what that road or that highway did. And so these are things that we have to look at. I'm looking at 5G and going, hmm, guess what? That's our new transportation given metaverse and technology and where things are going. Now, when I have those conversations, it freaks people out. They're going like it, it actually frightens some people. I've had done that presentation. People go, I was so good, but I, it kind of freaks me out. I'm a little bit scared now. And it isn't about that. It's about understand where that fear lives because we're going into a new world and we're all, actually we're already there. It's just the volume hasn't been turned up yet. Same thing Love with the it. internet, any, any major innovations, right? This is how it is. Fear comes first. I don't want to change. How am I going to do things the old way? Right. And mm -hmm. people don't want to accept that there's going to be some adaptations in, the, in their lifestyle, but this is everything you just said, Patrick was fantastic. Cause this is what we've been I talking about it. now for the last like couple of months is mm -hmm. exactly what you just went on about. And that's, um, that's amazing that you, that you share that. Yeah. I want to say longer than the last couple of months. And, and quite honestly, I don't think most people, if anybody really understands how impactful and dramatic the change is going to be because there is so much technology coming down the pipe and converging right now yeah. that it is going to be insane insane yeah well you make a really great point i mean we were it was something because we've done so much it was like 
back in March 2020 when things kind of shut down. I mean, we've been on Zoom already for almost three years. Uh, we have an international team. You know, my, you know, my right-hand core guy, you know, uh, JG Francoeur or Jean-Guy is a very, very close friend of mine as well. But we were, you know, our whole team, you know, he lives, he lives in Ontario. My uh, VP of sales and marketing lives in Ontario. I've got people in the Philippines, Calgary, Edmonton. So it's, it was really for us, it was just, okay, well, let's just do this live with our, our community. And we moved very quickly in that regard. But the point of that story is we knew that technology was going to change because we were living it. And then the work from home, work from anywhere thought process, I called it the great Canadian migration. And I started using that term, you know, I think in uh, April 2020, you know, May 2020, somewhere in there, because it just so, you know, based on our research, it just made sense. And so these are things that we look into the future. And to your guys' credit is that you're seeing the future differently than most. You know, we talk about critical thinking, we talk about technology, but you really have to embrace it. And, you know, it's not like there's going to be a switch and one day we're going to wake up and technology is there. It's we're immersed in it. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to our community with the real estate investment network, the community of members and our database, I'm saying, don't don't make it wrong. Don't fight it. Immerse yourself in it and understand the learning curve is, as you guys have probably discovered, you start talking blockchain and cryptocurrencies and NFTs and metaverse, uh, virtual reality. I mean, it's it it does scare people, but you have to immerse yourself in it or you're really going to get caught way behind the curve. Way behind the curve. And the curve is moving fast. Yes, sure is. Oh, I Especially love with location, it. Right? Location is, is now so... Um less so much less important than it was before right it used to be i've got to be in my area i need to know everything you're already talking about all these different markets spread across coast to coast now you can start being an international investor now you can start working cross borders there's so many different opportunities and the more technology you leverage you know the higher returns are going to end up with at the end of the day right because you can't well, be fixed and on a certain know, area you know it's interesting we just came off an event Yesterday, we do what we call a real estate investment intensive. So it's a six hour day where we do education and, and do our stuff. And, and it really is uh, about leverage. We, we, you know, as investors, we talk about leveraging our capital and, and that makes sense, especially in this inflationary environment. But it's more than that. We have to inf we have to leverage our connections, our relationships. We have to leverage technology, as you say. It really is about leverage in so many different ways. It's it's leveraging uh, conversations like these. It's taking the time to say, okay, what have these guys got to say? You know, that's you're leveraging knowledge that's out there. I mean, we spend. Oh, I've got a a research team. I spend. I mean, over the past couple of years, uh, quite, it's almost embarrassing how many hours I've spent on research and understanding and learning that, uh, you know, getting that learning curve and getting in front of it. And I'm sure you guys have done the same. And so you can either go ahead and try and figure out how to do that research yourself, or you can just take some time to listen and know that we've done all that research. You know, we understand a lot of what's happening and where it's going. And uh, yeah, maybe we're wrong and, and probably we will be in some capacity. I was wrong about a lot of things, mostly what I was, and I say a lot of things, the, the one fundamental thing I've been the most wrong about is timing. I thought things would happen quicker than they have been. And uh, so my timing has been off, but it has been coming to fruition. Some of the things that I anticipated, it's just now, you know, I thought it would happen quicker.
Like what, what, give me an example of something you thought would happen quicker that didn't happen as quick as you thought. <clears throat> well, I, th I thought that the, uh, for example, we'll use a Toronto market. I thought, you know, people leaving and then coming back would happen because of affordability, but I thought it would happen sooner and it's actually dragging out longer. And now I'm thinking there'll be a lot of people that don't go back to that condo market. Go, go. They, I thought that there was a, a part of me that was optimistic about the pandemic and at some version of it coming to an end. And I'm, I just don't, I'm not optimistic about that at all. You know, we continue to see variants. And, and when I read some of the research, I'll give you an example of this, you know, uh, PwC and urban, what the heck are they called? Um, I've lost the name for a minute. Anyways, it doesn't matter. They did a really comprehensive study. And that's just one, I read many. Um, and the, the number one fear or the number one thing that people have going on about not going back to the office, not going back to a downtown uh, densified area is fear of, uh, for their health and safety. And so as much as we are optimistic about that particular market, whether it be Vancouver, Toronto, those are the big ones, Montreal uh, to a lesser degree, but people aren't hurrying to go back. They are very, very fearful, sincerely fearful about it. You know, they're not faking it. They're, they're going, no, this is freaking me out. And so they don't want to go back where their health and safety will be compromised. So I thought that would go away and it's, it's not, you, you know, the variants that, are coming up. Do you think that, they're using that as an excuse because I think the same people that are afraid to go back to work are okay going to the hockey game and to the football match and out for dinner in a restaurant. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Well, you know, I, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, we can, and I'm sure there is definitely people like that, but I've, I have spoke with many people that are so afraid of COVID, take it very, very seriously. I, I'm oh, not that. Sure. I'm, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like the polar opposite of that. And so, and I know people, many people who have got, who have had COVID, who um, survived it, like no problem. I have uh, one friend of mine who's 74 years old. He got his ass kicked and yet he came out of it going down and he never went to the hospital. He actually refused to go to the hospital. He didn't want to risk being put on a ventilator and whatever story he had around it. But the point is, is that, uh, it's, you know, there's no denying that it's a real thing. And so people get really freaked out because of the, what they think could be the severity because they're getting, you know, they're getting told that people die from COVID when eh, not so much. Right. I think more importantly, because we're talking about people going back to the cities, it's the employers, right? Mm. Like the banks right now are, are starting to announce they're going to start having people come back into the office. Brookfield's in default on a building in Chicago that, you know, has 60% occupancy. We're seeing this all throughout Toronto. There's, you know, Bay Street's just starting to come alive again. So I think the employers are just as fearful, right? There's liability issues. There's, liability, there's, concerns, yeah. there's extra cost. Yeah. They're looking at everything um, from, you know, over and above. And, uh, you know, that's not going to change. It's going to take a while for that to Disappear. Yeah. And I mean, you make a, a great point. And I think the other thing that we have to you know, consider is that it's not everybody. It's not an all or none scenario. In that research that they did, they were, they were finding as high as 29%, but it seems to be settled down on other studies that I've read. About 15% are going, I am not going back to the office. Now, that could be because fear and safety. I said fear and safety was the number one reason, 
But a lot of people are going back, no, I'm not doing the commute anymore. Uh, I'm making different decisions in my life. This has really opened up conversations for people to take a look at their life and go, life's short. I'm not enjoying it. I'm, why am I spending two hours a day on a road, for example? Uh, why am I living in this you know, congested, densified area? And so there's a, for many, there's a shift in just you know, the way they want to be, the way they want to live their life. Now, again, I stress, it's not everybody. But there is a significant percentage. And let's say it's only 10%. You know, let's say it's it all the dust settles and it's 10%. I think that's a pretty easy bet to make. What does that mean in the world of real estate? Well, 10% of a population that says, I'm not going to the office anymore, I'm not commuting anymore, I'm not, you know, I'm gonna go to a smaller center or I'm going to really shift and focus on my lifestyle. And you know, there's a thing called, you know, uh, you know, they want to be 15 minutes from the world. So they want to have their hub shrink walk, bike, you know, do something simple. They want to simplify their life. It's about lifestyle. It's about having the space at home to work. Uh, many who are, you know, right now, uh, these are all trends that we have to consider. They're not definitive, but right now it's a trend that we go, oh, maybe this will sit. And that is around parents who are pushing back about vaccinating their children. And what they're doing is they're saying, I'm not putting them back in school. I'll homeschool them. So that has an impact because some parents, you know, one of the one or the other are leaving their jobs going, no, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to, I'm going to, my kids are my priority. I'm going to homeschool. I need more space to do that. Or I'm only working part-time or I, I will only work from home. So these are all things that are right now shaping to be trends, whether they will continue. We don't know. I think they will to some degree. We just don't know what that is. And that ultimately that does affect real estate. Ultimately it does as investors, we look at real estate through a different set of eyes and saying, you know, as a rental housing provider, what is the gap I'm trying to fill? The job, so you vacancy, look at, the job vacancy rates, is that something that you guys are talking about a lot right now? Yeah, job vacancy, you know, I, I, you know the problem with Canada is I'm sure you both have come across, um, it's hard to get data, it's hard to get accurate data. You know, the US, you, believe. Seems, you know, but we do know a couple of things, right? We know that the unemployment rate that our, our government provides us or stats can, um, you know, those numbers are very, very mis misstated, you know, and you can't, I, we, because we, they don't take into consideration a lot of different factors. So as much as they say, oh, we're back to pre-pandemic. Yeah, no, we're not. You know, ask the people that are still unemployed, ask the people who don't want to go back to work. I mean, there's still a lot of that out there. Now, is the economy really strong? No, it's not. You know, you just have to look at the different sectors. Right now, we're, you know, over 10% of our GDP is driven by real estate. And that's, that's awesome, but it's not healthy, given that many other sectors have not come back and are still struggling. When you say 10% of, uh, of our GDP is real estate, so a 10% swing in people's um, behavior in that market will change things drastically mm -hmm. for the these overall are, economy, right? Yes, and these are things that are happening. Now, right now, real estate is what is, is driving the economy. It's what's keeping things percolating, and that's great. Um, it's why I don't think we're going to see, I think the Bank of Canada is going to be very hard pressed to raise rates in a meaningful way, because the fallout from that will be quite dramatic, you know, because there isn't any, there is, there's other industries that are still struggling, they're not going to pick up that slack. 
And so uh, we have to consider, they have to consider all those factors and it's why they're resisting. And, 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 you know, I'm not here to say it's right or wrong. It's just that when we look and we're assessing a situation, they're going to be hard pressed to, to raise rates too much. It'll have even, even the quality of the loans and stuff like that. I know OSFI has been very, very concerned about who's got mortgages right now and the lending practices over the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. So they, they are, they are concerned. Yeah. They definitely don't want to put too much pressure on people. They do care about the housing market, whether people like to believe that or not. That's a major mm-hmm. priority for the government. Um, and right now in the news, the investors are taking all the heat. <laughs> right? Oh, of course, you know, of course <laughs> <laughs> there, but you know, that's, that's the people want answers. Right. And so they always need somebody to blame. They need a villain to push against. So, you know, it's foreign buyers, it's investors, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's lending vacant homes, you know, vacant. Yeah. It's all those things. Right. Right. And it's, it's, it's all of those. It isn't any one thing. It's a combination of many things. Uh, You know, so they say, well, supply and demand. Well, if the government just built more houses, you know, and, and municipality, you know, but you're never going to get a municipality to open up just all of a sudden start doing things that differently than they've been doing for many years, which is, you know, what is the application process for a builder to get in there? You know, what is the zoning process? What is the, uh, how do do they actually move a project forward when you've got a municipality that's got boxes that they got to check off and, uh, you know, oh yeah, we'll get you your permit, but first we got to do this. Can you go back and bring me this information, please? Everything. So it takes years for these things to happen. So of course, supply is limited. And, And can they, if you've got a seven year, if you've got if you if your process takes seven years for a builder and they cut it in in half, that'd be awesome. But that's still three years down the road before they even get uh, you know even before they even get a shovel in the ground. Shovel in the ground. So that that's a great segue into some wonderful headlines that we've seen in the last couple of days. I just uh, sharing my screen here. Investors are pouring fuel onto a hot housing market. Mm. The consequences could hurt everyone. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Well, they need, I go back to this, you know, these are things that understand is the general public, the first time home buyers, the people who want to live in a home, uh, feel it's their right to be able to buy a home. Uh, they need somebody to blame. So yeah, that's, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to blame, you know, people who are actually investing in real estate. First Similar time the- home buyers in Toronto being pushed out by investors. <laughs> yeah. uh, similar to the similar to Stats Can and the argument about how they're recording, you know, imp- uh, unemployment rates and all that kind of stuff too. This is the same thing. So TerraNet is the one who does these studies, and yeah. they just look at do you own another home at the time of purchase? So you may have you may be planning on selling that home, right? And you just mm-hmm. you know are we having them bridge over um, for Good the closings? Point. Uh, you might point. be buying another home, you know, for a family member just and co-signing for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many different things that make this um, uh, stat really not believable, just like everything else. But well, there's another again, side. There's 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 another side to this equation too, right? Which is, you know, you're going to see just as many headlines about um, the lack of rental supply in many uh, regions, and and it's it's funny because if you don't have investors, you're not going to have rental supply. And so, you know, they, they don't connect the, not all, they don't often connect the dots and, uh, you know, that's what makes for great headlines. In Toronto and Vancouver, though, I think it's pretty clear, right. That we would not have all the condos built today unless we had investors. Like look at the numbers. We've we've had some pre-construction experts on our show who, you know, Mm -hmm. specifically deal in that. And we've heard things like crazy, like 70, 80% investors buying these buildings. 
Yes. That's, uh, you know, so no investors means who's buying the condos for people to rent afterwards. Right? Well, and it's interesting that, you know, you think about what you just said there, yet we're still in, in our more, you know, like we'll use Toronto or Vancouver as an example, we're often still short of supply in the rental housing side of the equation. So again, people look, you know, the general media or the, you know, mainstream media and or people who are trying to buy a house, they need somebody to blame for not being able to do it. They need somebody to blame or something to blame. Uh, for the challenges that they're facing. And, you know, right now, you know, years ago or a few years ago, it's still coming up in Vancouver. Of course, it was foreign buyers, foreign investors. And uh, so they did what they did on the tax, didn't change a thing because it yeah. wasn't really ever a big factor. Yeah. So we, I read an article this morning or last night that I thought was pretty intriguing. I don't know when this was written, to be honest with you. I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, landlords bought more homes from 2008 to 2012 than all new homes built. And what this is talking about is basically that the price of housing, this is from the States, uh, tended to go up as more housing supply uh, came onto the market and went down as the number of homes that hit the market uh, decreased. Mm. And what's interesting here is that the article kind of goes on to say that it's basically investor demand that pushed up the market going, you know, after the dot-com uh, bust, everybody went into real estate, everybody started, you know, pushing the market, all these investors that had no right to be in the market started pushing the prices up, zero down payments, you know, interest only loans and people mm -hmm. walking away when the market went to hell. And then what they're saying is then, you know, so the investors ran up the market, they all bailed on it. And then a new group of investors came in and ate up all that cheap inventory and screwed up the market again. Yeah. And they're, they're talking a great deal about, you know, and I, I've been arguing with people on Twitter like this for the last few days, like crazy. There's a, there's the camp that thinks it's a supply issue. And there's the camp that thinks it's a demand issue. And I think the camp that thinks it's a demand issue is not thinking far enough down the road. If you affect the, the demand all of a sudden, like what happens to our economy? Well, there's a couple of things that has to be considered. And, you know, we can't look at narrow thinking. There's many nuances to a market. There's, you know, it isn't any one thing. It is a, you know, convergence of many things. And when we look at, even the buying patterns of people in their housing. I mean, imagine, you know, back in 2019, you know, people were happy to live downtown, buying those condos, doing all the things that they did, a pandemic hit. Now that's a significant influencer on a real estate market. And in, the, in this case, it actually is going to probably be more than an influencer, you know, in a shorter term, it's actually going to shift how people think and how they view the world. And so <clears throat> when we look at just the, the demand shift was because people were then now moving into different areas. They wanted to get out of those congested areas. They had different plans. So it, it can't be just any one thing. And, you know, and yes, is supply an issue? Yes, yeah, supply is an issue because demand is, a hot, is high right now. Will demand, you know, the bigger question is, will demand remain elevated for an extended period of time? I mean, here's the thing is if you look at the information and I've got, there's lots of charts around it. 
the actual supply issue in Canada. Supply has been a problem for several years. I mean, you can watch the diminishing amount of supply, the number of listings continue to drop across the country. And we don't look at, we, you know, right now we're talking about Canada over, overall, but we have to really think regionally because it's different in each region, province, city. Yeah, def definitely. And, that's, and the demand, I mean, demand fluctuates. That's just how markets work. So mm -hmm. there's going to be times where we've got demand from, you know, obviously the, the most recent, you know, pandemic, and we've got other demands from population growth. And, you know, you've got uh, different birth rates are, that are happening, you know, each and every yep. decade. So there's always going to be a fluctuation in demand. And it's, you're right, it's not one, it's not one solution. What do you think about, you know, government policy and all that kind of stuff? Like, it, would something like a, like a 1031 exchange, like they have in the States, be helpful to Canadian investors to be able to maybe, you know, sell some of their their properties and 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 to divert it into maybe new construction for creating new units like are these the things that you guys talk about what government policies could be effective well i think you know we don't talk a lot about it uh would it would it have an impact yes but you know it's I say again is that we have to look at a much bigger picture. You know, is is that really a long-term policy that will have uh, you know an effect over the long term, or is that just a band-aid for something today? And then there's a lot of speculation on whether that would work or not. So will it have an impact? Yes. Is it the answer? Absolutely not. And is it something that should be considered and should be looked at? A hundred percent. But you know, anytime you get a government into something they don't really i don't believe they understand it and i i i don't believe they understand it just because of what they're saying and how they react to some of the things that some of the pressure they're feeling because in the world of government it's always going to be politics over policy uh you know their first job once getting elected is to start getting reelected, and so you know we see more and more uh, it seems to be escalating where there's not a lot of brave politicians who are willing to stand up and fight for policy, which could be uncomfortable in the short term, but would have some very positive long-term effects. So back to what you asked about, you know, the 1031, maybe, but it's not the answer. You know, it's like supply, you know, it's like me saying, well, if municipalities just would maybe improve on their, their process, their application permits, et cetera, that would speed things up. Yeah, that would be helpful, but, it's not going to be the answer right now. Builders are facing increasing costs, uncertain material costs, labor shortages. Uh, that's part of the problem right now, too. So there is no everybody keeps looking for this one answer and there just isn't one answer. But you who's said the biggest that, lobbyist. Uh, go ahead, Joe. No, go ahead. I just want to know who's the biggest lobbyist in you know, federal government wise for landlords. Like in Ontario, they got the FRPO. And uh, I'm sure there's something else in BC. No, you know, something, nothing that shows up for me. I, I, to me, that's a bit of noise. I don't pay too much attention to it because uh, it's like I say, it's it, to me, it's just noise. Um, will it have an effect? Yeah, but it, it I, I can't spend my time looking there. I got to look at, I, I'm spending more of my time of looking economically at what's happening because ultimately, um, whether it's government or whether it's lobbyists, I mean, the government would have to make some very, very big and bold moves, whatever they might be. Uh, right now, they're pay paying, you know, lift service. As long as they continue to kick the can down the road, say the right things, well, we'll give the province, you know, we'll give that province a billion dollars and they can spread it out amongst their municipalities to, you know, push them to, you know, make the application processes faster. I mean, those are all really, and we're going to build all this housing. I mean, they're not even going to come close to filling the gap of shortages of housing. And then 
you know, and then who are they really looking after? Are they looking after affordable housing or are they looking after first time home buyers? You know, what is it they're trying to get? What is the gap they're trying to fill? And even by the time they get, they come to a conclusion of what that is, you know, another two years has passed. So that's what happens in the world of bureaucracy. Absolutely. The study of the study of the study. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, w, I, was, I think it was W5. No, who was it? I think it might have been W5 anyways. They just did a whole uh, kind of expose, if you will, on British Columbia right now and the dikes and the flooding and, and how for how many years they have been warned by the provinces, by the municipalities, time and time again about the flooding that will happen. And they, you know, the municipalities spent, you know, millions of dollars on these studies and they fed it up because it's, they're big numbers. There's hundreds of millions of dollars to repair or rebuild the dike system that protects Fraser River and, and, and protects these communities. And, uh, you know, now of course the, the light has been being shone on it. And again, it was the, uh, uh, I've lost his name. Doesn't matter. He's uh, anyways. I, I I lost his name. But the point is, is that he's going. We're going to do another study. And I'm looking at that, going, "Oh my gosh! If you're in Merritt, BC, right now, and you can't move back to your house, and your house is under five feet of water, the last thing you want to hear is we're going to do another study to figure out what we need to do. They've been done. Just do it." Well, so recently here in Toronto, and I'm not sure if this is a thing in Vancouver already, probably is. You guys tend to do things a little bit before us over there. Um, well, we, we just introduced inclusionary zoning here. Do you know about that? I've heard it, but I'm not, I'm not up to speed on it, no. So basically what they've done is they've decided that they're going to force the developers here in Toronto to produce anywhere from five to 10% of their units as affordable housing. Mm -hmm. If they are close to a transit hub or station. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, most people that actually understand how things work know that the developer is not going to eat that, that they're going to pass it on to the end user. And what happens is yes, five to 10% of those units will be less expensive, but the other 90 to 95% are going up to compensate and effectively just raising prices across the board. Um, we're also talking right now about uh, what we call the yellow belt uh, neighborhoods where you can basically only build a single family house or a townhouse, I guess, or a, a link or a, a semi, uh, but single family homes. Uh, they're now talking about opening that up to be able to put in multi-family homes. Mm -hmm. Another thing that, in my opinion, will raise prices, but I wanted to get your two cents on that or TK's two cents. Well, you know, I think, uh, well, you know, TK, go ahead. I mean, I, I, I have a thought of, you know, here's fundamentally when I look at housing, I'm really only looking at it from a investor point of view. So what does it mean to a real estate investor? And what, because we're looking at it just through that set of eyes. Now, the impact and the decisions that our governments or municipalities make in terms of how it will affect housing, you know, the home buyer or somebody living in affordable housing, I, I, I don't really, uh, I have not a lot of opinions about that per se. I, I try and stay aware of all of those things. 
But when I look at what's happening from an investor point of view, I'm only looking and I ask the question. So what you just discussed, what does that mean to me as an investor? And then if I can come up with an answer that says, well, that makes sense because now I can do this, that, or the next thing, or I'm going, whoa, I think that's going to have a very negative impact on me as an investor, uh, as me as a rental housing pro provider, then I'm going to pull out of that region or I'm going to pull out of that particular neighborhood, for example. So th that's how I look and view the world. I'm, I'm looking through a different set of eyes that, yes, I'm, I, I pay attention to first-time homebuyer issues and what they're bumping up against, but it... I want to know how it affects uh, us as investors. So, so Daryl's point, so the inclusionary zoning, um, if I'm a Toronto developer, I'm going to be looking outside the city of Toronto because it's only in the 416 that this will include. So mm -hmm. this is going to spread the, the big deep pocket developers out into the 905 or beyond um, mm -hmm. because why would they want to take a, a, an affordable, uh, you know, uh, housing allowance just to be able to develop in an area that they can get the same returns or more elsewhere. The, well, the multiplexes, though, I think is I think it's fantastic because we've got a ton of single family. I don't know Vancouver. I don't know BC. I don't really know it at all that, that well. Mm -hmm. But in Toronto, we just had this we have this huge amount of land that was built with all these single family. And with this neighborhood zoning, you're, you're barely allowed to get a basement apartment in. So to allow, you know, triplexes and, and fourplexes and some small commercial multifamily to be built there, I think would, would make a lot of sense for an investor to start looking at uh, suitable sites. Right. For an investor, a hundred percent. So this is what happens though. So tell me if I'm right, Patrick. So an investor goes and looks at a single family home now as a fourplex because it's allowed. So he's going to compete against somebody who wants to buy that for their family. And they're going to look at it. Okay. So the guy looking at it for his family is going to say next door sold for 1.3. Therefore, I think I can pay 1.315 and I'm, I'm okay. And it makes sense to me and the bank will do it and blah, 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 blah. The investor goes, there's four doors in this place. Mm. If I spend this, this makes sense to my investors. This makes sense for my returns. This yeah. makes sense for the long term. I'm looking at this as a 50 year play. I don't even care what I pay for the damn thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the house that's 1.315 turned into 1.5 overnight. Yeah. Sure. Again, there's so many nuances in the world of what's happening. You know, uh, you, you talk about affordable, you know, they, they're going to take this inclusionary concept and put it in place and say 10% of that project, for example, has to be affordable. Well, that's going to cause some other issues, right? So you look at the ripple effect. We're seeing it all the time right now, which is, you know, NIMBY, not in my backyard, these issues. This is one of the things that's getting in the way a lot with developers right now, uh, because they say we can do that. And then, and all of the people that are going, yes, you need affordable housing, affordable housing. Well, okay, but hold it. I already own a house. Don't put it in my, you know, yeah. I don't put it in my backyard. I don't want Over it to affect there. me. Right. And so these are the issues that come up all the time. So think about 10% of a building, for example, that is affordable. I mean, if you're going to move into that building and you're aware of that, you're going to go, no, I don't think so. You know, I, you know, I don't want to be with those people, right? So there's there that's the problem that we face uh, when we make these kinds of, you know, this will fix it. Yeah, okay, I got it, but will it? Probably not. So again, there's no one answer, and they're all very, very good points. And and I know that the government is is doing the best they can, but they also don't have a lot of knowledge. They don't communicate really well. I don't believe. Uh, certainly with the mom and pop investors, for example, uh, who make up, you know, almost, I think, 60% of the rental market, over 50. 
I don't know what this, and it depends on what region you're in, but you know, they're, they're not communicating well. They, they do a pretty good job, I think, with builders and developers, not that the builders or developers are happy about it. But these are things that there's so many issues in the world of housing and everybody's looking for a answer and there just isn't one. The real, the, you said there's no answer. Is there even a problem? Are prices like, is this even an issue right now mm. that the fact that prices are going up and that it's more expensive and that your income's not getting, like, are, is this a problem? We could look back 10 years from now and say, you know, this was necessary and this was all part of what was to be, you know, like we just, we always, we're always looking for a problem. Like there needs to be something solved. We need to have more housing. We need to mm -hmm. drive prices down. We need to create more this. We maybe we're actually doing everything the way that it's, it's supposed to be. And that things are actually as good as they can possibly get. Right? So something you know, lasts for 30 years. Is it not sustainable? Well, like, you guys, where, this where is, is the mark? Yeah. yeah, where's the mark for sustainability? Like, when do we hit sustainability? If in the last yeah. 30 years, what we've, we've seen, <laughs> we, we can't consider this sustainable. Yeah. This is a, such a great discussion and conversation because, you know, when we look at, you know, TK, you make a great point. Who says this is wrong? And the, and the reality of what's happening is housing in Canada has continued to rise. I can tell you, you know, um, I've been around the block for many years now. And, uh, you know, back in my day, when I was looking at buying a house, you know, interest rates were, I think, 19%. And, uh, and I was complaining about affordability, and I could never buy a house with interest rates at 19%. And all of the things that happened, I, you know, I remember, I finally did buy a house, I think I paid 14% at the time interest rate and i just was so happy when i was paying nine and three quarter percent like 9.75 yes look at that mortgage buy down you know so i was really celebrating those times the point is uh, of all of this is that when we look at what's causing housing it you know we talk about inflation and the reality of it is is that the pandemic just put everything on steroids it shifted the globe um, money printing you know like it just doesn't stop and at the end of the day, we look at what's happening in inflation and wages have never kept up with that rate of inflation and that housing, uh, and they never will. So people are starting to realize and, and, and consider this is that not everybody are real estate investors. And, right. you know, but the, the wealthy continue to get wealthy because they're investing in assets that inflate. And, they, you know, is that part of it? Yes. But what's happening is, you know, the, the printing of capital, the printing of money cannot be understated, the effect that it's having on the economy, just not just our economy, globally. And that has an effect on our economy. So again, we go back to this thing is everybody's looking for a answer. And TK, you, you nailed it. It's like, who says this is wrong? And yes, the pandemic put things on steroids and sped things up, the velocity. And I mean, when we look at what's going to happen with technology, the velocity of technology, I mean, imagine 18 months ago, you know, you know, whatever it's been 20 months, um, you know, people didn't know how to spell zoom. Now it's all they do. And so all of the, and, and the virtual reality of what's happening and the augmented reality of the world and, and the metaverse, these things are all happening. So what's going to be the next complaint to your, your point TK is, you know, is the, that real estate will continue to, to escalate. It won't go 30% a year. I'm at, I mean, as an investor, you're, if you're getting two, three, four percent a year, you're you're hitting it out of the park. Yeah, on know? top of some positive <laughs> cash flow. Whoa! Yeah, totally. Yeah, mortgage pay down, everything. Yeah. Now, now, you know, 50 years ago, everybody needed a home. It was a basic need. You know, the cost of a home compared to income, I don't know, two, two and a half, three times, right? 
now it's an investment vehicle. Now it's like, it's not just looked at like, this is basic needs. Everyone should own a home. It's like, no, this is something that instead of, you know, diversifying, you're, you're going to put a lot of your money. Majority of people don't have the financial education to diversify. They have to put most of their uh, funds into their home. And this mm. is what's going to allow them to retire. It's going to allow them to pay mm. for emergencies down the road. Like it really is necessary. And in, in one camp, I could make an argument that the housing prices to skyrocket over the next 30 years is necessary for us as a civilization to survive and to be able to be part of the world and, and to, with all the changes that are coming with technology and everything, especially with the generations like my generation, I'll try to keep up as much as I can, but I already know my two young sons, my nine-year-old, especially figures things out way faster than I do. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, that's going to happen exponentially as I get older. Right. That's why you're friends with this guy over here. So exactly. you can learn about all this stuff. So, try to so, figure so out things faster. Okay. So, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Patrick. Sorry. No, I was just going to comment on one thing is that people look at real estate now as an investment vehicle, but let's let's just step back for a minute. And look, why is that? You know, when you look at what's happening in the equity market, the corporations and the and the way that the government is feeding those corps and keeping that equity market inflated and you put money in the bank account when you've got in, when you've got inflation. I mean, it's so understated CPI at 5%. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. Our inflation is double digits. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. It doesn't take a, an economist or a mathematician to really get to what the numbers are. And 5% is so understated and how they calculate that. So my point is this. You have 100 grand in the bank today. And in five years from now, 10 years from now, it's worth significantly less. So it's like letting the air out of a balloon. And so if you're working really hard for that $100,000, which you are, holy cow, I finally saved up $100,000 or whatever that might be, where are you going to put it? And you don't have a lot of options right now. You know, cryptocurrency, equity market, uh, real estate, you know, like these are things, you know, gold and silver. I mean, where else are you going to, what assets have you got? You don't have a lot of choices and real estate is the most understood choice. It's the in your face kind of choice. Well, and so, okay, so now to add to that and to add to at least what I see coming down the pipe that will accelerate pricing considerably, I believe, uh, sustainably, I think, too, is the fluidity of the real estate market and the uh, tokenizing or the NFTing of the marketplace and the ability to buy now online without seeing or to pop on a set of goggles and feel like you've actually been there and press a button and buy now with no resistance and no baloney and no legal fees and no possibly no commission fees and uh, like who knows what other government like there's so many fees and baloney that has to happen when literally there's the technology there right now today that you could press that button and own it instantly what is that going to do to the market Right. Well, what is that going to do? Can you imagine? It's a game changer for sure. And if you haven't come across them, I encourage you. They're out of Vancouver here. I encourage you Addy? to uh, Addy. Right. I mean, uh, we we were where we've had them on our stage and we, we've gotten to know them quite well. I mean, gosh, you know, invest 10 bucks or 50 bucks or 1500 max, you know, and the next thing you know, you actually own a stake in a piece of real estate. And I mean, and, and they're expanding on that particular model. 
And I mean, how much better can that get? But what does that do? It, it gives people the opportunity to, number one, put their money to work, which is so important in this environment. But number two is that actually they're just getting started and there'll be other addies. But to your point, it's going to start to drive these real estate prices and continue to drive them. Will they, will they expand at 20, 30, 60%? No, I hope not, because that's just not healthy. Uh, but will they continue to uh, rise? Yes, 100%. And imagine you could sell now. And there's just a pool of people ready to buy a fraction of the thing or the whole yes. thing. Like all of a sudden it becomes uh, like a, like a stock market. Right. Well, it is. Did you see the article where Proppy? you can, you can look at it. You can uh, Google that one is Proppy who, who did a, a, the first ever tokenization, the first uh, ever uh, NFT on a piece of real estate. Uh, they got five times their asking price. So, you know, you look at, and that's, and that's, they're the first in the, you know, large organization. The point is this, is that this goes back to where we kind of started the conversation, gentlemen, is that you have to pay attention and be looking into the future so that you're actually um, getting ahead of the wave, not chasing the wave, as they say. So the Toronto Real Estate Board is um, trying to pioneer, you know, this with, uh, Terranet, who's the land registry here in Ontario. So they've mm -hmm. got a new system coming out called Realm. So Realm is coming out where the listings are going to be uh, NFTs. So therefore, you would be able to create a listing that is non-fungible and that you're going to be selling a product. I know that there's a little bit of anti-competitive you know, parts to it that, that Trev is always involved with, but mm -hmm. it's also going to be in partnership with Terranet. So again, this is all just the beginning of putting properties on the blockchain and starting to get people to understand how it works. And, and eventually, I mean, when they went from, you know, land titles and, and land registry and, and switching everything over from paper format to digital, I mean, it's, there's an evolution, right? So eventually the, all the properties and all the land um, uh, ownerships could all be on the blockchain. And then both traditional transactions and, you know, crypto transactions will be uh, transacted and recorded, transacted and recorded on the blockchain. I mean, that's, to me, yeah. that's where it's going. And, and that's like, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say is that we bring this up and, you know, to, you know, for us right now, we're early on, we're, we're adopting and understanding and working hard to educate ourselves on it. And, and we are, you know, definitely a unique group of people that would even, you know, would even want to have this conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, so I just sent you that, that link, Daryl, of uh, just to give you some idea. Thanks. I actually shared it on the screen while you were talking about it. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I pressed the wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> Editor will take care of that. <laughs> <clears throat> so there's, you know, these are, you know, the, for me, it's always about getting a message out there. I'm not trying to be right about everything. I'm not trying to be, you know, somebody who is, you know, demanding of government or, or I can get pissed off. Like I, you, you want to get, you want to talk politics with me. I get so fired up about it. I can't help myself. And it just drives me absolutely crazy uh, because they live in a different world, a different set of values than I have. You know, I am, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of a capitalist at heart, you know, probably somebody even call me a libertarian, but at the end of the day, I want to drive and educate people and support people. I love what I do. You know, the real estate investment network, we've been around 29 years. You know, I've been part of this community and it really always for me is about how do we empower people to stay ahead of the game to, you know, as much as we talk about affordability on one side of the equation, we're 
on one side of the equation, we're, you know, there's, there's a group of people that says, you know, the government's got to support me. That's, that's a conversation, right? In my world, I'm going, I can't count on my government. I don't count on my government to support me. And so how do I work within the system to actually create a financial future for myself? And I use real estate and other things too, personally, but we educate people in all of this. So for, you know, for guys like you, what I love about it is you're, you know, you're young, you're on top of it, you're paying attention to the game. And you're trying to support others in learning as well. And that's where the power lives, I think, is just trying to get the message out to people that uh, we can sit here and bitch about the government all day long. We can bitch about policies and all the rest of it. We have to say, what do we need to do to support our communities, support ourselves, support our families? What do we, how do we need to uh, look after this? And if we sit around waiting for our government to get it handled, we're going to be gray and old and still not have the problem solved. That's and my- I think I think you expand that if we wait for anyone to mm. do it for us, right? Yeah. Uh, we're 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 really screwed. So we're, we we have a little bit of time left, and I really want to ask you about this because it's come up. So, I, I didn't expect to talk about all of these wonderful technologies, and <laughs> so 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 I love that you're into this. This is this is like my bread and butter, man. Um, what I want to know is. Do you, are you, have you started talking about, or do you have people doing research on, is this a discussion in rain uh, about investing in the metaverse, uh, buying parcels of land in the central land or the sandbox or anything online? Is this like a thing that's starting to happen in rain right now? We, you know, that's a great question, Daryl. And, and the, the short answer is kind of yes. Um, we're very sensitive to the, the, the reality of is, is so we're just we're just starting to have these conversations. It's actually an initiative going into the new year for us to bring it to our community in a, in a more structured kind of way. So we have a, we're having an event in, in January, for example, it's kind of a kickoff of the year. We do lots of goal setting mindset stuff, but we also talk about we're, we're having Dr. Sherry Cooper, economist with uh, DLC, former with BMO and or Bank, yeah, both Bank of Montreal. Anyways. Uh, Dr. Sherry Cooper is a, a great economist, great speaker. We'll have her out. But the point is, is that in all of this conversation, so the short answer is yes. The long answer is it's just starting. Yeah. And so what are your um, thoughts on that? Like, would you ever buy a piece of land in the metaverse? Hmm. Well, I think what's going to happen, yeah, the short answer is probably, um, you know, we talk, you, you mentioned it just in what you were talking about is that, you know, we look at the virtual reality, the goggles, and we think, oh, this is kind of cool. And people played a game or you've experimented with it and go, oh, look at, I can look at this house. I say, here's my prediction. And I, and I could be full of shit. I mean, probably am, but I'm, I'm throwing it out there because I just like to do that is that I say in three years or less, you will have to own a pair of virtual goggles. Like you will own them. Like you own your phone because it is the way you're going to see the world. It's the way you're going to go into the office. It's the way you're going to hang out at a board meeting. And it's the way you're going to, your tenants are going to see your properties or you're going to look at properties yourself. That is where we're going to be. And I think it's going to happen. And my timing has been wrong all along, but I'll say, I think it's based on what I've kind of read and seen and the research that the team's done, uh, it could happen pretty easily in three years. Will it be everybody? No, but it'll definitely be a lot of people have adopted it. I think you're right. And I think it's growing. It's it's, growing. New companies are coming up every day that are working on improving that technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I work in that field also. And I'll be mm. honest with you, three years is probably right, but only because we lost all of our steam during the pandemic. Because I'm telling you, right before the pandemic, I felt like it was going to start to happen. People mm. were starting to get ready to adopt it. We were talking about it with so many different developers. Mm. Yeah. And all of a sudden, who the <laughs> hell wants to put on a headset that somebody else just put on in a public space? Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, the cost of the headsets came down. The first time Daryl showed me his backpack and his thing, and he's like, it's only $2,000. And and I said, yeah, you know, thousand. I wish. <laughs> whatever it was, you know, and then, you know, now I've got my little Oculus Quest 2 and, and you know, for under 500 bucks, and I'm sure that's going to even get cheaper, right? So, well, technology is deflationary, you know, and, and that's part of the problem that people, you know, face that are in it, you know, a lot of technology is just deflationary. I mean, you think about, you know, look at, we'll use Blockbuster as a, as a you know, kind of the big example that many people still relate to. And, you know, the joke is, is that Blockbuster could have bought Netflix for 50 million and, uh, you know, they chose to continue doing what they're doing. So, you know, uh, when we look at the deflationary impact of technology, you know, music's a classic example. You know, people are going back to, you know, classic LPs for music and collectibles. But at the end of the day, you know, you'd spend 20 bucks on an LP and you'd get, you know, 10 songs and it'd be one band. Now you spend eight bucks a month or free. And the next thing you know, you can have unlimited amounts of music and groups to listen to. So these are the things that we see in technology. So to your point, uh, 100%, you know, we're, we're going to see technology get cheaper. Goggles will, you know, you'll yeah, at some point, probably in 10 years from now, you know, you'll be standing in line if you're standing in line at a store and uh, you'll be picking them up as a, as a kind of an auxiliary item, you know, like we pick up gum right now. Who knows? You know, one of the things that's interesting about it is that uh, this is something that we found in our research. So we talk about our phones, right? We all got them. You know, our life is in a palm of our hands, right? It's, you know, it started out as we actually use them as a phone and, and occasionally we still do. But then it was about our contacts and we could have music, then we could live stream, uh, then we, you know, FaceTime, all the things that we could do. And uh, then it was GPS. I mean, it was only, it was less than 10 years ago. It was like eight years ago that GPS started to, and the next thing you know, like I, I was literally, you know, 10 years ago when I first moved a little over now, but when I moved to Vancouver, I'm, I'm like looking through a map to figure out where the hell I am in, in, in Fraser Valley or in Lower Mainland. But the point is this, is now it's it, it become, that's what you do. Uh, then, it, then, of course, we get into now today, uh, it, we, and we pay for things off our phones. And today it's, you know, now it's our medical, everything is in the palm of your hand. So, the, the, but it's literally in the palm of your hand. But here's, here's the thing that if you haven't looked at it, you probably have because of the industry you're in. But Amazon came out with Amazon One, where they're now testing live in primarily in California, but there's other areas where you now place your palm on a scanner, paid. They've got all your information. It literally reads your palm. So, you know, where is that all going? We don't know, but that's technology. Absolutely. Yeah, Moving I'm, fast. I'm excited. I think the, the identity that we have with our phones today um, it's almost necessary, right? When you say, oh, can I send you a video, send you a text, whatever the communication is, WhatsApp, whatever, will be the same thing as you, you need to at least have an identity in the metaverse um, within three years. Oh, Otherwise, you, sure. will be, you will be missing out on a part of life. I, I, I watched a, a Warren Buffett was actually talking about Apple and the iPhone, and I, it, it changed my mind, just this one sentence. And he said, 
that the iPhone is actually extraordinarily cheap. And I mean, we all know it's like 1500 bucks for the new one, and that's not cheap by any standard. But what he said is, it's more important to all of us than our cars, mm -hmm. right? And when you compare the, the phone to the price of a car, and, and when you, if you ask many or probably most people, they'd probably give up their car to keep their phone, mm -hmm. right? Like that phone yeah. is just so much more ingrained in them and their daily lives than the car. They'll, they'll take an Uber or a bus to keep that yeah. cell phone, right? And that just blew my mind. The idea of a $1,500 phone that is like, like five, six times more than what we used to pay for a phone is considered mm -hmm. cheap by the one of the top investors on the planet. Well, you know, I think, you know, something, Daryl, he, he made a really, really great point. And when we look at the value of a car over a phone, a phone wins every single time. Yeah. Uh, there's always a way to get a ride, but there isn't always a way to get into your bank account. You know, so these are things that we have to consider. And I think that's a great point. You know, the one thing that you brought up in the car, we haven't really talked about technology is autonomous driving or autonomous cars and then and then, you know, driverless cars. And so we think that that's a future state. Uh, I have a friend of mine who sent me a video uh, that actually, for a, first off, is he's in a restaurant and his meal and payment is through a robot. Now, it's this cool stand that is programmed to drive around the restaurant, literally delivered his meal on a tray. He passed it over. Now, it's not a high-end restaurant. It's kind of quasi-fast food, but not quite. A little bit above fast food. But the point is, it was delivered by a robot. Okay, so that's the first thing. Then autonomous or driverless cars, we think that's a future state. Well, that's going to be really cool in 2030. Uh, no, China's been doing it since January of this year, over 100 cars uh, doing just that. The cost of, of the, the cost of an electric vehicle that you don't own and what it costs us today versus you know, maintenance, gas, insurance, all of a sudden that cost comes down to virtually nothing. And so it's not going to even actually make sense for us to own cars. So back to the real estate factor, well, what does that mean? Well, okay. Uh, parking lots, uh, we, you know, we don't have room to build. Uh, well, we don't need these parking lots anymore either. So this is all, you know, kind of future state stuff, but there's the reality of what's happening right now. Technology is deflationary. Technology will change how we move and how we get around. And, you know, cars is one of those, those, those things that's happening. So uh, we look at all that technology and it, it's coming at us. It's already in place. Yeah. And imagine if everybody all of a sudden has two, three, four, twelve hundred two thousand dollars more a month because they're paying nine ninety nine a month for all the rides that they can take or hundred bucks, whatever it is, right? A yes. hundred bucks a month is like yeah. so much better and if it's you, on demand, right? Yeah. If you haven't read the book yet and we had him, uh, we interviewed him on a, uh, the, the author of the book, um, uh, Jamie Habib, uh, the book is called Rethinking Humanity. And it will, uh, Arbib, and it will, it will totally change how you look at the world and where it was, where we are, where it's going, the cascading effect. And it's, it is actually, it will blow you away and it will just change how you think. It'll change how you view the world. So Jamie Arbib, Rethinking Humanities, read a couple. He wrote, he co-wrote that with, uh, Tony Seba, I think is his last name. Oh, 
Oh my God, that guy's brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're both brilliant. So, but Tony, uh, like I've watched some of his videos, and that yeah. guy, that guy's called the future for a long time. Yeah, well, his partner is Jamie, and uh, so it's some. We've got it online somewhere. I don't, I don't know where we put it, but the point is, is that. Uh, for for anybody who's really interested in this stuff and is and is looking and and wants to break out of this kind of mold of how we think, that book totally changed you know my team's view of the world and what it actually means. And it's so fascinating to understand how we even got to where we are today. And it's it's actually mind blowing the way they think. Now I don't agree with all of the stuff they say, but how I view the world is through a whole different set of filters based on having that conversation with Jamie and reading his book. Just to tie everything together. Cause we're, we're just right at the end of the show. Now, sure. um, Patrick, the real estate investors goal is to be able to stay ahead of the curve, right. And to be able to have the foresight, to be able to understand where things are going, not where they were, or where they are, but where things are going and yeah. understanding this level of our culture is going to be paramount to a real estate investor's success. Well, it is because you have to make decisions and you have to make decisions based on what's happening today and where it's going. So the future is now. So when you start to realize that these things that are unfolding, they are going to take a path. They are going to be on trajectory to change how we look at real estate, how we look at our clients, our tenant profiles, uh, an expanded demographic because of affordability. Uh, as one example, and it, how it, what it means to our smaller centers. You know, as I said, 5G is a new transportation change. And so what does that mean? Like a highway, it opens up a whole different world to the smaller centers that are going to embrace it. And by the way, if you do any research on it, uh, Daryl and TK, is that you're going to see that billions of dollars are being invested right now in Canada, in many provinces by Bell and Rogers. That's just Bell and Rogers building that infrastructure out. Uh, that's not even what the governments are paying and doing. And Starlink, don't forget Starlink. Yes, Starlink. You can't forget Starlink. That, but, but here's the thing about that is- 5G you know, will be obsolete. Starlink will just jump past 5G. <laughs> that's the next level, right? So that's a really great point, Daryl. And here's, here's the thing about all of that is that people think it just means faster internet speed. They don't understand web 3.0. They don't know what that even represents. And so it's a, I just love the conversation and the direction it's gonna go, what it means to us. And I think it's, you know, to understand it, I believe, I know this may seem a little dramatic, but I, I think it's, a, but you, you have to embrace it if you're gonna survive. Absolutely. Well, it looks like we could talk forever and we're going to need a, a part two. <laughs> we'll do a part two next year, 2022, and, and to see how many of our predictions came. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Patrick, thank, to it. thank you so much. Um, CEO of Rain, um, host of the Everyday Millionaire podcast. So everyone can check you out. Um, yeah. You've got all the, all the socials, so you're easy to find. And uh, we really appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. It's been fun. Thanks, guys. It was Thanks, great. Thank you.
New on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.